Good morning. Uh, I want to invite you to turn with me in a Bible to Ephesians chapter 2. And if you're using one of the Bibles that we have underneath the chair in front of you, it's on page 1242. Uh, While you're turning there, if you're a guest with us, we're so glad you're here. I hope I get a chance to meet you perhaps after the service. And um, just so nobody worries, um, if I don't move or talk fast this morning, I just didn't sleep last night. It happens to all of us, but I want you to know that. Uh, and if I do fall asleep, Chris, you just come up and give me a shove. Um, and uh, if you fall asleep, I'll just let, let it slide this time. Um, but we're continuing our sermon series through the book of Ephesians, uh, where we are finding in Christ everything that's missing in us. And we're going to look at chapter 2, verses 11 through 22 this morning. So hear now God's holy, true, and life-giving word. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body, through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you that your word reveals who you are and what you're like. And we thank you that your word is powerful and um, that your word always accomplishes the purpose for which you send it regardless of the weakness of the person preaching it. And would you be with us all now and Holy Spirit, would you help us to see the glory of our Lord Jesus in this text? Would you fill us with joy as we think about this new humanity that is being created in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in 1908, there was a um, a hymn writer who went by the name of John Oxenham, and he wrote a hymn, some of you may have heard it, but he, um, he was writing it about the way that people of all different uh, ethnic backgrounds and nationalities and traditions, people of all over the world are 
unified in Christ. And uh, I wanted to start by reading this hymn or this poem that he wrote in 1908 uh, because it really ties in with what Paul's talking about in this passage. So this is uh, a hymn uh, which was first a poem called No East or West. This is what it says. In Christ, there is no east or west. In him, no south or north, but one great fellowship of love throughout the whole wide earth. In him shall true hearts everywhere their high communion find. His service is the golden cord, close binding all mankind. Join hands then, brothers of the faith, whatever your race may be. Whoever serves my father as a son is surely kin to me. In Christ, now meet both east and west. In him meet south and north. All Christly souls are one in him throughout the whole wide earth. I wanted to start with that because we're talking about something that is so powerful and really life and world changing for all of us who believe it. Uh, We're in this series where we're finding in Christ everything that's missing in us and in Christ this morning we're going to see that we find the only way to to experience real unity with all types of people all over the world from every ethnic background and it is only in Christ that that happens and in Christ it does happen and it's a beautiful and it's a powerful thing and in fact, what, what Paul is telling us this morning here in this passage is that in Christ, God is creating a new humanity. One that is at peace with him and therefore also at peace with each other. That's our focus for this morning, that in Christ, God is creating a new humanity. One that is at peace with him and at peace with each other as well. And so I want to talk about three things this morning. First, the hopelessness of humanity. Paul is going to remind uh, these Gentile believers of the hopelessness they they had before Christ. Number two, we'll talk about the hope of a new humanity. Paul will uh, tell us about that in verses 14 through 18. And then third, we'll talk about the honor of the new humanity. So those three things this morning, the hopelessness of humanity, the hope of a new humanity, and the honor of new humanity. So go ahead and look at verses 11 through 13. Let's talk about the hopelessness of humanity. If you're new here, just keep your Bible open. We kind of walk right through the the verses of each passage, and we'll do that today. Okay, so the hopelessness of humanity, verses 11 through 13. Uh, I think what Paul is showing us here is just how important it is for us to remember the hopelessness of humanity without Christ. Just how hopeless humanity would be without Christ. And it's important to notice here in these verses that Paul is speaking here as someone who was Jewish and then became Christian, and he's primarily speaking to people who were Gentiles and then became Christian. And that word Gentiles, that's not something you're familiar with. It's uh, the Greek word ethnos, which you can almost hear in there, ethnicity. That's what that word means. It's all the different ethnic groups in the world, all the different ethnicities, people groups. And what Paul is saying here, or he's pointing out here, is that before Christ came, so all through the Old Testament, God had established a relationship with one nation, or one ethnic group, and that would be the nation of Israel. He had not, God had not established a relationship with any of the thousands and thousands of other nations or people groups. 
he had only established a relationship of promises and faithfulness to this one nation, the people of Israel. Although he had promised that through his relationship with that one group, there would be blessing for all the groups. And so that's what Paul's getting at here in verse 11, because one of the things that uh, can be helpful is to know that the, the Jewish people, the, the nation of Israel, they did, because of God had instructed them to practice circumcision, sometimes they called themselves the circumcision, and they called any of the Gentile nations the uncircumcision. So that's what Paul's getting at in verse 11, if you look there. He says, therefore, remember, at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. Uh, which is made in flesh by hands. And now, so he's identifying those two groups, and now speaking to a group that he knows is primarily, formerly Gentiles, he wants them to remember something. He wants them to remember that before Christ rescued them, they were missing out on all these uh, religious advantages, as uh, one scholar has said. So look at verse 12. He says, remember that you, at that time were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And what he's saying is that before they came to know the Lord through faith, when they were Gentiles, they were separated. It literally says they were outside of Christ. And he means there that they they didn't even have any knowledge that there would be a Messiah, that there would come a Savior. The nations aren't aware of that. And they were also alienated, he says, from the commonwealth of Israel. He means that they were uh, apart from the life of Israel, the lifestyle, the life experiences of God's chosen people. Um, They enjoyed none of the benefits of the Israelites' way of life. They were strangers to the covenants of promise, meaning they had no idea that the one true God relates to people through these promises, through these covenants, these unbreakable commitments that he makes to people by grace. They didn't know that. And they didn't know that he was a God who makes these beautiful and glorious promises. And so without these incredible advantages, they were without hope, he says. And they were without God in the world. And all the nations were hopeless. They were without God, destined to live out their lives and then face God's judgment uh, in hell. But, this is what he says in 13... It's a dramatic shift. He says, but now something has happened. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And that is absolutely huge because he's talking, he's showing them that what happened is uh, they, they were brought near, they were brought into God's family. They were brought into God's people through the blood of Christ. So the blood of Christ, when Christ died to pay for sins, it was not only for the sins of of God's chosen people, but for all people who would ever trust in Jesus. The blood of Christ is powerful enough to cover the sins and pay for the sins of people from all the nations. And so what Paul is saying here is that he wants them, those who were not part of God's covenant community and now have come in, he wants them to remember just how hopeless they were uh, when they were without Christ. And I think he does that because if we, if we remember this, uh, you know, most of us here were, were not Jewish before we became Christians, so we too would have been uh, without God and hopeless in the world. Uh, but we've been brought near through the blood of Christ, through hearing the gospel and becoming believers. And I think it's important that we 
remember just how hopeless we would be if Christ hadn't rescued us. Because the more we think about that, the more we believe that we really truly would have been hopeless and helpless without Christ, the more we will value what Christ has actually done for us on the cross. And it's interesting because the amount which you value something really determines the impact it has on your life. The amount that you value something, it determines the impact it'll have on your life. In fact, there was an interesting uh, study that happened uh, that proves this a little bit. Um, There was an energy drink that was claiming that it helped people have higher mental acuity or uh, better intelligence. And so there were some researchers who wanted to put that theory to the test. And so they did some experiments. And what they did is they had a whole bunch of of students do this, uh, this, this project or this word jumble challenge. And they had three different groups of students. And in one group, they didn't give them this energy drink. They just told them to do the, the word jumble challenge, gave them 30 minutes to do it. And then in the second group, they gave this particular drink to the students and told them that it would help them with their mental strength and acuity. And uh, they also told them that it, was about, it cost about $3. And then they told a third group of students... Uh, before they did the word jumble challenge, they told them about this drink and they gave it to them, but they told them it was less than a dollar. Okay, and so in the end, uh, the results were pretty interesting because what happened was, uh, on average, the, the students who drank this drink and then took the test, um, thinking that it was about $3, they did better than the control group that didn't, they didn't have anything. But then on top of that, before we think this energy drink really has uh, special powers, um, they did significantly better than the students who thought that the drink was just less than a dollar. And what the researchers determined from that is it, it was the value that the students attributed to the drink that really made the difference in their test scores. If they hadn't thought it was more valuable, it wouldn't have affected them as much. Now, that's just a simple um, uh, research thing that took place. But if you think about that, it is true. The more you value something, the more it impacts your life. And if we want to experience the fullness that God wants us to have in Christ, uh, a huge part of that is you and I daily choosing to value appropriately what has happened, that we have been rescued, that Christ has redeemed us, that he's paid for our sins. He's reconciled us to God. And he's saved us from our hopelessness and our helplessness all on his own. I think one of the ways that we could apply this is in our community groups. This actually happened in my community group last week. One of the members kind of made this statement. Uh, She said, I can't believe how my life would have turned out if Christ had not rescued me. I think that could be a way to appropriately value uh, what Christ has done for us if in our community groups we're talking about just how things could be, how things could have gone for us if we weren't following Christ, if he had not come and said, follow me to us. But we want to remember the hopelessness of humanity without Christ. And then we also want to look at the hope of a new humanity. Look at verses 14 through 18. Here Paul talks about the hope of a new humanity. And what he's teaching here is that faith in Christ leads to peace with God, which leads to peace with one another. No matter our ethnic background, no matter where we come from, this is huge. Faith in Christ leads to peace with God, which leads to peace with one another, no matter 
uh, who we are. Now, so how do we see this? Well, taking into account like all of the voluminous uh, war and, and division and strife between all the different people groups in the world throughout history, uh, if we think about all that, what Paul is saying here really is world-changing. Because Paul is saying that Christ himself is the reason that Christians uh, are able, from any national or ethnic background, are able to live at peace with one another. It is Christ himself who is that reason. He's saying three critical things here. Look at verse 14. He's saying Christ has created unity between believing Jews and believing Gentiles, people from all the different nations. He says in verse 14, For Christ himself is our peace who has made us both one. So Christ is taking people from Jews and from all the Gentile nations and putting them all together in one group, making them one. Number two, he's accomplished this by breaking down through his death on the cross the thing that has always created division between Jews and Gentiles. And that's the commandments and ordinance of the Old Testament. Look at what he says in the second part of verse 14. He says, Christ has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Now, let's talk about what he's saying there. Um, He's not saying that that Christ abolished the moral law summarized in the Ten Commandments. That wouldn't make sense because in chapter 6, he's going to refer to uh, the Fifth Commandment. But he is talking about how Christ fulfilled the sacrificial system, the ceremonial aspects of the Mosaic law or the Old Testament law. And really, one of the things that separated the Israelites from the rest of the nations was these, these ceremonies and these, this sacrificial system. Their adherence to the sacrificial system and the ceremonial codes did two things. One, it made the Gentiles hostile towards them, but also in their sin, it made them feel hostile towards the Gentile nations as well because they thought they were superior, which we see in that sort of insult earlier in the verse when he talks about how the the Jews would call uncircumcised people the uncircumcision. And that was looking down on them. And so what Christ did is he fulfilled all of these requirements of the Old Testament law and the sacrificial system. He is the true sacrifice that reconciles God and man. And so then he created uh, what some have referred to as the third race. You have Jews, Gentiles, and then this third race, Christians. And in fulfilling this Old Testament sacrificial system, uh, he, he creates this new group of people made of Jews and Gentiles. Verse 15, he says, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So a new humanity and so making peace. In other words, by pulling people from the Jews and from all the Gentile nations into one group and reconciling them to God, he's now made peace both with God and with man. Look at verse 16. And he says and that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Which is why uh, the message of the cross is a message of peace. In Christ, Christ has paid for the sins of all types of people. People from all different nations and backgrounds and languages and ethnicities. And he has therefore created peace. And what he's done is in himself, he has reconciled not only people to God, but therefore also people to one another. Uh, Thomas Merton said it this way. Man is not at peace with his fellow man because he is not at peace with himself. 
He is not at peace with himself because he is not at peace with God. Now, what Paul is saying is that in Christ, people are at peace with God. And therefore, we can actually be at peace with ourselves, meaning we don't have anything to prove. We have righteousness for free by grace through faith. And so as we look at others, there's no reason to look down. There's no reason to feel superior. There's no reason to be competitive. We can actually look at everyone as our equal. And so having peace with God allows us to have peace with ourselves. And when we're at peace with ourselves, with who we are, because we know we're righteous in Christ, that means we can look at anyone else of any ethnic background and see them as an equal and not feel superior, not think they are inferior. We can actually be like a bunch of kindergartners playing on the playground who, if you notice, they don't ever really pay any attention to what people look like. Um, imagine a world in which everyone really viewed everyone else of every different skin color and ethnicity as their equal. That would change the world. In fact, um, we don't see, we don't often realize that when we're not at peace with God, when we're when we feel like we've got to prove that we're righteous, when we feel like we have to have some sort of status, that's what actually leads us to look down on others. That's what leads us to. Look and, and, and imagine that other people are inferior to us. Christ takes that away by giving us the righteousness that we can only have through him. It's interesting. Um, I read about a, a situation in which a, an engineer named Peter Skillman, he hosted a competition. And he recruited four-person teams from schools all over the world, from Stanford, from the University of California, from the University of Tokyo, He got all these four-person teams, and then he had them take a challenge, an engineering challenge. And the challenge was to build the tallest possible structure with the following items. 20 pieces of uncooked spaghetti, one yard of transparent tape, one yard of string, and one standard size marshmallow. Okay. Now, the only rule was that the marshmallow had to go on top. Okay. And as soon as uh, each of these teams would, um, uh, as the timer would start, these teams from all these different schools, they would talk about it, they would, um, they would ask questions, they would kind of strategize, they would start tossing ideas back and forth, uh, they would begin proposing some, some options and some ways that they could build it, and eventually they would divide up the tasks and they would start building and then they would get uh, finished and they would have uh, their structure be a certain height. Now, there were teams from one particular kind of school that operated very differently than the rest. There were a a few teams from a different kind of school, and uh, these teams, it was so interesting, when the timer started, they didn't really strategize, they didn't really ask questions, uh, they didn't talk much at all. Uh, When the timer started, they all just jumped in and started building. And every once in a while, you would just hear one of them say, here, or here, put it here. And this particular team... Uh, did really well. In fact, in the end, in dozens of dozens of trials, uh, the teams from this particular type of school consistently built structures that were on average at least 16 inches higher than all of the other schools. You want to know what school that was? It was an elementary school. They were kindergartners. Isn't that amazing? And not only did the kindergartners have an average of 16 inches higher on their, uh, their structure than all of these business school students. They also did it against lawyers, and they beat the lawyers, and they did it against CEOs, and they beat the CEOs too. 
And so psychologists look at this and they're like, why in the world are these kindergartners able to build such a high structure? And it's because of the way they're able to work together and it's because of the way they're not trying to prove anything to each other. They're not involved in what's called status management, which everyone, all the adults, no matter what is happening, they're trying to prove something. They're trying to prove their status. They're trying to get people to buy into their ideas or their visions or that they're right. And it creates all this division, which makes it harder for them to work together. And that's really what, uh, you know, in, in the world, when we, the reason that there's racism, the reason that there is uh, people who feel like there's some groups are less important or inferior to others, it's because deep down, way deep down, we long to know that we're right or we're righteous or we have some sort of status. And that's what creates all these divisions. But Christ has broken down that barrier by giving us his righteousness, by giving us peace with God so that we can live knowing we don't have to prove anything. We don't need a status. We don't need to earn a status we don't have. We already have a status of perfect righteousness in Christ. And therefore, we can look at others uh, as equals. This is why in the church, there's just no place for racism whatsoever. There's no place for looking down on any other people only looking at one another and celebrating that each and every one of us is made in the image of God. Each and every one of us is our equal and fully valuable and special and wonderful. Each and every one of us is important to God. And it takes 7 billion people who all look different to have the image of God here on earth. And what God is doing in Christ is he's making this new humanity where we're at peace with him. And therefore, we can be at peace with one another. And I think what we should do is, we, we, this is the way we apply this is we want to repent of any and all feelings of superiority. We want to turn away from that, fight against that. It is part of our sin nature. And that's why we want to confess it when we experience it and we want to turn away from it. And, and live as we're supposed to, as this new humanity in which we fully value people of all different, all the different nations because we've all been united together in Christ. We're at peace with God. We can be at peace with each other. Third, let's talk about the honor of the new humanity. Look at verses 19 through 22. I love this because what Paul's showing us here is that as we take the gospel seriously, God is actually building us into a dwelling place, his dwelling place on earth. I mean, what an incredible honor that is, right? That first we were hopeless and helpless. Now he has not only brought us in Christ, but he's united us to all other people who are in Christ. And now he's making us into his dwelling place. God, the creator and sustainer of all things, is making us where he dwells on earth. Look at verse 19. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. He's saying you from the Gentile nations, you've been brought into the family of God through Christ, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So that's the scriptures. Christ Jesus as himself as the cornerstone. He's the centerpiece of all that we believe in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In other words, what the Holy Spirit is doing as we are being sanctified, sanctified together, as we're following Christ, is He's building us into this dwelling place. What a tremendous honor to know that God is dwelling on earth in and through us. 
And, it's, and the more that we believe that, and the more that we submit ourselves to his word, the more that we submit ourselves to Christ, the cornerstone, as king, uh, the more we begin to look like God is among us through the grace and the love that we extend to all peoples. We can go from being like a flock of seagulls, not the band, to a flock of geese. You ever notice the difference between a flock of seagulls and a a flock of geese? It's actually pretty interesting if you think about it. Uh, Seagulls are pretty ruthless. And when there's food, like fish or something for them to get to, they fly at each other, they dive bomb each other, they peck at each other, they squawk at each other, they scratch each other, they fight each other. They do not care about one another what one bit. They are only uh, just obsessed with trying to get that food. And it's, it's a pretty ugly scene. You may have seen something like that on a beach. Meanwhile, uh, geese are very different. You ever seen a flock of geese flying over in the big V? It's actually pretty amazing. Uh, when, when geese are flying, they fly in the V because science, uh, scientists have found that it helps them to fly 71% faster than they could have uh, flown on their own. So they do it together. Uh, the goose at the head of the V, is he has the hardest job. And so he's only there, for, or she's only there for a little bit, and then they switch. Uh, so they rotate, so they keep, uh, so no one gets totally burned out there. The easiest places to fly in a, in a flock of geese are the, the back parts of the V. And do you know who's there? Uh, the geese that are either really young or really old or have some sort of weakness, they are positioned there so it's easier for them and they can keep up with everybody. Um, and if, uh, if a, one of the geese ever needs to land, just can't do it anymore, then they never go alone. Somebody goes with them and waits with them until they can rejoin. And you know the honking? You know, the, you know what's happening? You know what they're saying? Scientists are pretty sure that the stronger geese honk to encourage the weaker ones and even help them know where they should be to, uh, so that it's easier for them in that moment. And, they, and so that's why when you, when you see a flock of geese fly over, they're all doing it together. They're all in unison. It's like there's a presence among them uh, helping them look in this majestic way. And I would suggest that's what you know, Paul is saying here. As we, as we submit ourselves to Christ more and more, as we see that Christ is the king of all the nations, as we see that people from all ethnicities and backgrounds are made in the image of God, and as we seek then to enjoy the peace we have with God and have peace with one another, what Paul says here, that uh, God dwells in us by the Spirit, that becomes visible to the world around us. They see the way we work together, we live together, we care about each other, we don't leave anyone behind. And really they see the Spirit of God at work. What an honor. Let's pray. Father, thanks for um, your word. And would you help our church to be a church filled with people who are bold in Christ to face any feelings of superiority or racism that we might have and repent of that, trusting that we're already forgiven for that and we want to be free of it so that we can show the world who you are and your love for all nations. Strengthen us, Lord, as a church and help us to enjoy peace with you and peace with one another. And may it be a peace that is compelling to the outsider, the non-believer, that they would want to be part of it. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.